Well, welcome to week two of our message series we're calling Deep Change. What we're doing in this series is helping us understand why it's so hard to change and how to begin and start taking that journey towards the deep change that God wants to do in, in our lives. And so last week we began with a series, uh, a verse, we're really calling it, in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Great thought, right? This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So God is saying, hey, these are the top, Jesus is saying, these are the top two commandments. I really want you to do this. But you know, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind is really difficult sometimes. And especially that loving your neighbor thing, that gets really hard. And so what God wants to do through that process of loving him and loving our neighbor is to make us more like him. And that's where deep change is involved. And the truth is that, in fact, many of us, we just get worn out by the struggle. And so what we're going to do in this series is help you with that. Last week, we began with a message I called the shadow within. And even, even though our sin nature, you may not know this, but even though our sin nature was crucified with Christ, Galatians 3.20 or 2.20 says that, that, that we were crucified with Christ. We sang about it. And, and that sin nature was crucified on the cross but we still got that flesh. We still got that flesh. And so even though that has happened, many of us, we have this shadow within. And the reason that we learned that it's so hard to change is this shadow that, that beneath our actions are emotions that are driven by internal beliefs that we're not even aware of. We don't even know that they're there. And so we're thinking, you know, we're going to a new year. We're going to do some resolutions. We're going to make some new changes. We're going to do some things a little different. And most of us are thinking, hey, let's just get a little better, right? Yeah. Jesus is glad to work with us on better, but that's not really what he's going for. What he wants is transformation. Christian author C.S. Lewis said, for mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man or woman. It is like teaching a horse to jump better and better. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. God wants to totally change us. He wants to totally transform us. And when we see the word redemption there, it means to put back to his original intent for our lives. Most of us, actually every one of us, we were born with a sin nature and we got going and we did some things and it got us off track. And he wants to restore that calling and that purpose in our life. And one of those things is he desires for us to have a great relationship with him that we'll have this close relationship, that we'll be able to overcome those sinful desires that arise on the inside of us. But yet we don't experience deep change. And why is that? Well, the reason is, even after we give our lives to Jesus, even after our sins are forgiven, we all still have a past. We have a past. And because of our past, it's often difficult to recognize areas that we not only need to change, but we actually desperately need God's intervention. Amen. I mean, we can't do it on our own. In other words, you could say it this way. Our dysfunction seems normal to us. You ever looked at a family and said, they're weird? Oh, you're all admitting it. Okay. You know, most of us just do it quietly. Okay. But yeah, we've probably all done that. And that's just, you know, their weird is just different than your weird. 
We're all dysfunctional in some way. And so the reason it seems normal to us is because, listen, our identity flows from what we do repeatedly. We said it's our repeated beingness that determines our identity. So what do we have to do? We've got to recognize those internal beliefs that undercut our ability that, to allow God to actually change us. Peter Scarzero said in his great book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it wasn't until I understood that these beneath the surface components of my life had not been transformed by Jesus that I discovered an inseparable link between emotional health and spiritual maturity. That is, it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally unhealthy or emotionally immature is what he said. And so what we talked about is that deep change and spiritual maturity occur at the intersection of spiritual insight and emotional health. Now you say, I've struggled with my thoughts and, and I, I may have some, some mental challenges and all of that. I'm not talking about your, your cognitive ability. I'm not talking about even you may fight depression. I'm not saying you can't mature in God and get deep change. If you've been diagnosed with depression, don't hear it that way. But there's some things that are going on in the inside of us that don't really change until we, we start leaning in to what God or to what has been happening in our lives. Our emotions are connected to our internal beliefs. So what did we tell you last week? And, and most of you know I don't normally do this. I don't review a message in this depth. But the reason I'm doing it is it's vital that we get this in us. And I gave you a whole bunch last week. And so, uh, you know, they used to say in the farm, it's enough to choke a cow. So, um, so, you know, I just wanted to kind of go back over and pull out some things to help us understand. So we said last week, when we begin this journey of deep, deep change, we've got to recognize our feelings. Because what you're feeling is actually an insight into what's going on in the inside of you. Now, we don't trust our feelings, but it gives us insight as to what's going on. And then we simply, in our prayer time, admit them to God. Instead of denying that they exist, say, God, you know, I'm, I'm fighting anxiety. I'm fighting fear. Would you come in and would work? What, what, what? You can, here's the question. You can ask him, God, what's really causing my anxiety? I think it's this, but what's really happening? That's when you begin to lean into that deep change. And then you invite God to transform those hidden, unchanged beliefs. You just say, God, begin to transform me. And so deep change begins with surfacing our need for change by recognizing our emotions. And here's the thing. Thank God we have someone to walk through this with us. Amen. We don't have to do this alone. Jesus said it in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Then Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary, little DJB paraphrase here. All of you are weary trying to change everything on your own and do it your own way and trying to be good enough and trying to measure up. All, that. all of you are weary. Carry heavy burdens. He said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, he says, upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest. Everyone say rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus invites us to come in and to him to bring our twisted internal beliefs and our emotions and all that's going on and just bring it to him. That's part of what we can do during these 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
And all of that I told you is great. It's important, but there's another step. You say, oh, there's always another step. Yeah, because God's all about steps. And here, we're going to talk about the, the second step today, and, and we've got to dig a little deeper. And here's the thing. We've got to face our past. And it starts with our family of origin, they call it. You came from a family. Everybody grew up in some kind of family, healthy, dysfunctional. And so we have this family that, that we grew up in. I remember as a kid, we'd, my, my parents would have friends. You know, they had friends, and we'd go over to their house and play. And, you know, their parents would talk and have dessert, and we'd play. And then, I don't know if you all ever had this, but I was like, man, I wish I could be part of that family because they had better toys didn't seem so stressful. You know, their parents seemed cooler than my parents. Come on now. How many ever thought that? Was I the only one? Come on. All right. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah. And, but, but now here, I want, you to, I want you to walk with me through something here. So we've probably all felt that one way or another. But, but when you think about the family that you grew up in, what do you remember? What do you remember? Have you ever been with your siblings or parents or, you know, somebody that was in your family and you're, you, you start recalling an event and you tell your version of it and you find out everybody else remembered something completely different? You're like, were we at the same place at the same time? Right? There's actually a word for that. Jason Isaacs in his fantastic book, Deep Change, points out that psychologists call it duration neglect. Duration neglect. It's that your memory is misleading. In fact, we typically only remember the highest moments and the lowest moments. In terms of our memory, it's not an average. It's the highs and the lows. So they did some studies to see if this was true. And they interviewed college alumni. They were asked about, they graduated from four years of college, asked, what do you remember about college? 40% of the responses were from the September of their freshman year in college. It's the first thing they remembered. They were excited to be on campus. They asked the same thing of those that had suffered from, from colon issues and, and cancer and and. All they were told was the lowest moments, the hardest parts of the journey. So duration neglect, that concept is important because it affects how we remember our childhood. We tend to overestimate or underestimate how our childhood shaped our lives. The reason that's important is because to experience deep change, it's important to go back and understand how our family of origin shaped our desires, our beliefs, and our actions. Now, it's true that if, you're, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're probably consciously following him. You're in church. You're doing, you do other things to follow him. But unfortunately, and particularly on the inside of us, we often unconsciously follow the patterns and tendencies of the family we grew up in. The reality is that most of us are not doing much fundamentally different than the dysfunctions of the family we were raised in 
unless we've been really intentional. So the good news is that today is that if you belong to Jesus and you've given your life to Jesus, you're part of a new family, the family of God. You've got a different family. And the interesting thing in the Bible is when the Bible returns, uh, refers to family, it's typically referring to several generations of family, typically three or four generations. When you say, well, why is that? Look with me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, where it says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not, not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. Good to know, right? Then it says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but I lavish unfailing love for how many? A thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Well, verse 5 sounds kind of cruel if you don't understand what it means. That God's like, I'm so mad at you, I'm just going to lay it on the future. That's not what that means. The word lay there in the New Living Translation or punish in other translations is a Hebrew word, and I'm going to probably mutilate it, but it's pawkad, which means consequences that repeat or consequences becoming fully known. That's what it means. So when we understand the meaning, then the verse is saying that the sins of the parents tend to repeat themselves or the consequences of the parents' sin become fully known over the course of three or four generations. That's true for good things and sin patterns, dysfunctions, which is why it's incredibly important how we choose to live our lives and that we get to the place of freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, here, here's the thing. My, my grandmother was an incredible influence on my life. When I left for college, unknown to me, she went through all of my luggage, and she had handwritten verses, and she put them in every single pocket of every garment I was going to wear when I got to college. <laughs> and so for the first month, well, I didn't have that many clothes, for the first week, <laughs> when I pulled out a shirt or a pair of pants and stuck my hands in, there was a verse. I wish I would have kept those verses. But it was incredible. She, she, she was in a fantastic uh, legacy she left for our family. So it, it, it's really powerful. Now, some of you are thinking, well, well, what's the deal with that? Well, the deal is that that is now flowing generationally in our families. I see it. I see it. What grandma started flowing through. Well, and my, my granddad, too, on both sides. But that, it's flowing through the family. It's a powerful and wonderful thing. And so here, some of you are saying today, well, I don't have that heritage. I want to tell you, don't lose hope. You're here today, and you could be the person that becomes Grandma Barch for your family. You could be the one that helps make that family transition. You can't change everybody in your family, so don't go out of here and say, Pastor said, I'm going to get you all in line. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> But you can begin to make changes for yourself and you can let God work in you and you can experience deep change and you'll become a different person and you'll become who God wants you to become. 
Researchers say that children as young as 18 months can determine their mother's values by following the gaze of their eyes. Parents, and you wonder why your kids want your cell phones all the time. Their eyes. I'm just saying I better move along. <laughs> the truth is they've studied and our kids, our kids want to learn to want things long before they can articulate why they want them. And it's shaped by watching their parents. Truth is, what we do matters in so many realms. But the reality is there's no perfect family. Not mine, not yours. None of us are perfect. In fact, Jeremy Isaac says, the sooner you let go of your ideal image of childhood, the sooner you will be able to heal from the past that hurt you. Stop, stop thinking everybody else had the perfect one and you got the messed up one. No, I'm going to help you with that. The reality is that most parents did the best they could with what they brought from their childhood. Okay? Now, here's, this may be, in, in the light of this conversation today, it may be hard to grasp this, but God actually placed you in your family. He said, well, that was mean. <laughs> Stay with me. We used to tell our kids, we used to say, as much as you may not like it now, God put you in this family for a purpose. We used to tell them, your spouse is probably going to be a lot like your sibling. So you just will learn how to work it out now. There's a lot of truth in that, but we won't go there. The truth is there's something in your family that God wants in you, and there's something that you bring to your family that only you can bring. The problem is, again, no family is perfect. So along with the good things and the opportunities given by our families also come the wounds and the hurts caused by the sin and the dysfunction of our families. So what do we do with this mixed bag known as the family of origin and in the process experience deep change? Let me give you several things. Here, you've got to face your past is the main thing. You just got to face it. You got to look it in the eye. And here's how. Number one, be grateful for the blessings. Be grateful for the blessings. In Acts chapter 3, after Jesus died on the cross, he was raised from the dead, ascended back to God. Two of his disciples, Peter and John, were going to church. They went, were on their way to the temple. On the way to the temple, there was a crippled beggar standing there or sitting there asking for money. Peter and John said to him, hey, we got something better than what you're asking for. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And Jesus healed that man. And you know what? The crowd was amazed, right? It was incredible. Then in verse 12, it says, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Now, if you read the rest of that passage, it was an incredibly convicting message that Peter preached to those, those Jewish people on that day. But what was he doing? He began it by drawing attention to the family line that God used to bring Jesus into the earth. And by the way, if you've don't know or forgotten, in, in, in God's mind, sin passes from the fathers 
down through the generation. The seed, it comes through that way. But, but that family line that produced Jesus was imperfect. It wasn't, just like your family. You know, the crazy aunt, you know. Whatever, we all got people in our family, right? If you're watching aunt, uh, no, that's not you. So, but you remember, you remember Abraham, under pressure, he lied to a leader, right? His son saw that. His son relived the same lie. And then his son, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, he, he took it even further. So a little sin in one generation passed down again in another, and by the third generation just explodes. And Jacob, his name means deceiver. He was known as someone who lied because he lied to his dad. He lied to his brother. He lied to his father-in-law. But Peter didn't focus on their failures. He focused on the blessings that came down through that family line. And I, I would tell you, you can face your past much better if you'll begin to focus on the blessings. Amen. That what you were bestowed a blessing through your family. So be grateful for the blessings of your family. And number two, forgive those who wronged you. We should just dismiss right here, right? Probably good time. Some of you are like, this has been really good, but I'm out. <laughs> stay with me. Just stay with me. Deep chains really requires that we deal with our most painful wounds. Why? Because what you ignore does not go away. It does not go away. And second, because those wounds deeply shape our, our beliefs what we really believe at our core. And those beliefs then become our repeated thoughts and actions which determine how our identity develops over the course of our life. So unless we go to the root cause, we're not going to change anything. But let's just be honest. Isn't it fun to be angry and plot revenge? Come on. Who, where, where's anybody that you've ever had a thought of some revenge? Come on, just, you know. I mean, you weren't going to do it, but you, you entertained it, you know, when you got up in the morning. Come on. I know some of you are going to, I'm going to lose you right here because you're going to be thinking about, no, no, come back. Stay with me here. St. Augustine argued that envy and hatred, listen, envy and hatred try to pierce our neighbor with a sword, but the blade cannot reach him unless it first passes through our own body. So when you're plotting that revenge, you're going to take out you first. Jesus said forgiveness and healing are so vital to spiritual depth and emotional health that he instructed his disciples to actually halt worship in pursuit of reconciliation. Look at this verse in Matthew chapter 5, 23. So if any of you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, what's the old song? We bring the sacrifice of praise. I mean, that's a really old song. That's a scripture. We bring the sacrifice of praise. So, so when you're coming in here to worship, he's basically saying you come in here to worship and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Reality is it seems so much easier just to hold on to those wounds, right, than to forgive. But you got to remember that forgiveness does nothing to the, to the other person. Your unforgiveness does nothing to the other person. They don't even know you're mad. But it'll destroy you. It's like drinking poison hoping the other person dies. 
doesn't work that way, right? Now, now something came in my heart as I was preparing this message. I don't know who it's for, but, but I want to I speak it out. And, and we can do this. Some of you may have someone, a parent, a sibling, someone that has wronged you in your family or some other place, and they're no longer here. They're, they're actually dead. But you can forgive them. You can forget. Now, you're not going to talk to them, but you can forgive in your heart. You forgive them. Amen? And if you, here's the thing. You can forgive without closure. Well, if they would just tell me that they were sorry they did that, I'd forgive them. If you're waiting for that, you're, 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 you're going to be messed up. Because you often don't, you never get that. Rarely do you get that. You just got to choose to forgive. Amen? It's interesting to me that when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, teach us how to pray, this is what he said in verse 12. Forgive us our sins as we have have forgiven. Past tense, already done. We we have forgiven those who sin against us. Why, Why is this so important to Jesus? Because forgiveness is a difficult yet essential quality of those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. We have been given a gift that is so incredible. The fact that God would send His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And He forgave us. Right? What an amazing thing. So how can we claim His forgiveness without also extending our forgiveness to someone else? And what he's basically saying in these verses is if you can't forgive, he's calling into question whether or not you've really received his forgiveness. Because if you've really received his forgiveness, you will be able to extend it. I'm going to tell you how here in just a second. Are you ready? Can you handle it? Here's the thing. So you say, I can't can't forgive. If you begin to think about anybody can forgive. The most heinous thing could be, be, be forgiven if you'll have this one thing in mind. And that is, he has forgiven me of so much. He forgave me. And when that thought becomes so large and so big and you recognize the magnitude, I mean, you've been trying to change some of these things for 20, 30, 40 years and you can't change it on your own. How about your sin? How about trying to get the stain of sin gone from your life? But he forgave us. And when you begin to think about how much, not even how much, but how much you value what he's forgiven you of, whether you've done little or much, if you value it highly, you will have forgiveness then to extend to somebody else. Oh, but pastor, you don't know. I don't. But he knew you. He knew me, and he still died for us. He knew. You know. You can forgive. How do we do? How do we forgive? Number one, decide to forgive. It's not a feeling. You just got to decide. It's a choice. It's a decision based on the fact that Jesus forgave you. I've been forgiven, therefore I choose to forgive. Um, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm um, 119, 165, one of my life verses, great peace of they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. My, one of my desires in life is to, as soon as I'm offended, to immediately forgive. That's just, that's just so important that we forgive. The, now, here's the thing about forgiveness. The feeling may never come. You may say, yeah, I'm so glad I forgave. You may never get there. 
So you just decide to forgive. And then number two, forgive like Jesus. Remember when Jesus was nailed to the cross? Hands nailed, feet nailed, crucified there on the cross like a criminal. Around them, around him and the other two criminals that were hanging with him stood, stood those who had tortured him, mocking him, right? What a scene. What did he say? Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now let's be real clear. They knew exactly what they were doing. You say, are you disagreeing with Jesus? No, but listen. They knew, those, those people around him, they knew exactly what they were doing. In their minds, they were crucifying a criminal. And they did it on purpose. Some of you may have somebody that you're trying to forgive, and they did it on purpose. These men, they did that on purpose to Jesus. They thought they were crucifying a criminal. But Jesus knew that by dying on the cross and being crucified, it would fulfill Old Testament prophecies, and that if this happened, that he would truly be the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. They thought they were crucifying a criminal, but they were opening the door for all of us to be forgiven of our sins. What a powerful thing. Maybe this will help. Think of it this way. Those who have wronged or wounded you may not have known they were hurting you. Or... They have been, may have been just trying to get through their own struggles. Or they did not realize the actions or words that the impact those actions and words would have on you. Think about it. Hurting people hurt people. Out of their own hurt is often why even unintentionally things were done to you. They did it to you but I, want, I want, but I want you to hear this clearly. It wasn't about you. It wasn't about you. It was about where they were in knowledge, in pain, and in their own unchanged past. That's why they lived the way they lived. So like Jesus, we can choose to say, forgive, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they did. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what the impact is on me. And here's, here's a pro tip for you. Forgiveness is confirmed. You know you've forgiven when you can remember the wound without experiencing the emotions. That's really important. So every time you remember, and you will always remember, you can say very simply, oh, Father, I forgive them. I've already forgiven them. Or, you know, like I do something, no devil. I've already forgiven them. We're not going down. I'm not going to relive that whole thing. Years ago, uh, we had somebody that did something to, to our family. And uh, on my way to the church office, drive by their neighborhood. And sometimes this light was red. <laughs> I wasn't just looking both ways. I was remembering what had happened. And so I just started saying, no, Father, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. That's forgiven. It's, and that... And, you know, now I drive by that area and I don't even think about it. But there, before that came about, it was times I think about, oh, no big deal. Nothing, nothing came, not, none of this, you know what that this is, right? Oh, you just, Rah. see that feeling you got on your, it's an insight. Maybe you have, maybe, maybe you need to just remind yourself you've already forgiven. You've made that choice. So be grateful for the blessings of your family. Forgive those who wronged you. 
if we're going to face our past, and then, I love this one, number three, connect with your new family. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're part of God's family, but the reality is too many people miss out on the benefits. Too many people come to church for the worship or the message or the kids' programs. In other words, in our modern language with social media and all, we would say that people come for the content. But the reality is you miss out on one of the greatest benefits of being a part of God's family, and that is the connection, being connected to other believers in the journey. And that's really important. It's really important. Even though you, you may say, well, I got enough relationships from work and, you know, my messed up family and, and all of that from others. But, but here's the thing. The journey to deep change and in deep change cannot be navigated alone, at least not well. That's why God puts us in a local body of believers. He puts us in a church. He invites us to participate, find that place, not just for what it benefits us, but what we can do back to help somebody else. Ephesians 2, 19, verse 19 through 22 says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. So what's the point? In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were talking to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the Jews. But the Gentiles, which is most of us, we're on the outs. That wasn't God's chosen nation. We, we're not a part of that in the outs. And I love that because of Jesus. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. Amen. You are members of God's what? Family. Family. And then what's the next word? Together. Not independently. Together. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Therefore, verse 21, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord, a living temple. First Peter talks about, through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So you got to connect. Not just attend, connect. How do you connect? Well, let me give you a couple things about his place at least. One of the ways you connect is through a small group. Here in the next few weeks, we're going to announce small groups for the spring. They'll start in February and go through um, April-ish, May, maybe some of them. Find a group and get in a group. Say, I don't like the group. <laughs> it's part of the benefits of being part of the family of God is grouping. Amen. The second thing you can do is, is come to Growth Track. And today is step two, immediately after service, right out here uh, off the, in the, in the uh, connect room, right off the hallway here. And, and just, just, just come, come there. You, the classes are separate. Just come to step two. And what we're going to help you do, if you're ready and, and it's a good time to do it, is we're going to help you find a dream team to serve on, one of our teams. And as you serve on a team, you're going to be rela in relationships. And some of those people you're going to love. Some of them you'll learn to love. <laughs> Amen? And it's all part of God growing us and helping us heal from our past. Amen? So what should we do? Face your past to change your future. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to you today and we, we thank you. We choose right now. We choose right now to thank you for our families. 
Lord, we, we are part of what makes them imperfect. But we thank you for our families. Lord, you've placed your children in families. And Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for our family. Bless our families, Lord. And Lord, help us to, to, to move in a way that we're transformed so we can be a blessing back to our families in a way that will move them forward, not changing them, not telling them what they need to do, but being a living example of what you want to do in their lives. So, Father, we thank you for doing that today. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're seated here today, maybe you're joining us online, and you say, you know, I'm not part of the family of God. I've never actually made a decision to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Today's the day to do that. And I want to invite you to pray a prayer with those of us who've already made that decision. As you say this prayer from your heart to the Lord, He will hear. And this, by the way, this is a prayer He always hears. He always answers. So let's say this together. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn away from my old life. And I ask you to make me a new person from the inside out. God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. And so today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord, to lead my life, to be my Savior, to forgive my sins. I surrender to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.